I think it's really nice to be in a room full of like-minded people who want more than just the status quo of life. I've talked to a lot of you. I've uh, been here for three years now, and what I've seen over and over again is that you want to make a difference with your life, just like I do. Um, and it's okay. There's days, this might be the day for you of where you're just like, you know what, that's not true. I'd rather just, you know, there's days for me. I'm like, you know what, let's go to a deserted island and I'm going to eat a bunch of coconut and I don't care if I get credit for it or not. I'm just going to live my life. Um, but for the most part, we want our life to make a difference. We don't want to just be here and then be gone and nobody know about it. We want our life to be different. Um, and what's also cool is I could walk up to any of you and I probably will afterwards and ask advice. I can say, hey, how do I manage my finances? Or how do I get on a healthy diet? How do I exercise? How do I read my Bible? How do I pray? How do I spend time with the Lord that matters? And you can give me advice. And if I were to listen to your advice and follow it, I'd be someone who is successful because I know the, the quality of people that I'd be talking to. So why is it that we can have all this information in our head, but when it comes to actually putting it into practice, we fail? It comes down to motivation. What is it that motivates you to do the things that you do? And according to the Bible, it, um, we're going to see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be studying uh, verses 1 through 9 tonight. We're going to see that it really does come down to our relationship with the Lord. It affects not just a piece of your life. It should affect every aspect of who you are. It's your relationship with the Lord. Some people are motivated by money. And, and it helps with a lot of different areas of life. If it helps them be, uh, have a good work ethic. helps them to go to bed early, wake up early because their job is um, demanding. It helps them to find a job that can give them a place to go next. It can help them manage their finances well in order to really kind of save for the future and all those kind of things. The motivation of money falls short, though, because anything outside of that goal goes to the wayside. Family obligations are an option. Going to church is just a suggestion. Reading your Bible is like, okay, well, that's kind of getting in the way right now. Other people, and I think that you'll relate a little bit more with this, I believe that this is more our generation, are motivated by happiness. What is it that makes me feel comfortable and excited about life? That's why we aren't going for the jobs that are highest pain. We're going for the jobs that excite us, and it's what our passion, what we're passionate about. It allows us to spend more time with family. It allows us to go to church and spend time with our friends and things like that. Um, but it's also not a good motivation because any time that it fails to give you happiness, you, you fall away. If, if family conflicts start getting in the way of your happiness, then it's, you, we start avoiding those kind of family reunions. If your Bible is no longer exciting to read and more of a burden, you don't pick it up anymore. You don't go to church anymore if church starts coming outside of your box of, of happiness. So that is also not a good motivation. So what is it that needs to motivate us in our life? So let's read this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all the statutes and commandments which I commanded you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing of milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them and sign on your hand, and they should be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. We're going to look at three ways. It's really a three-part process of how to live a consistent fire for the Lord. So three ways to live on fire for the Lord. And the first one is that God wants you to know that he is holy. So right before this, this passage, we're looking at chapter 5, and you look, look in your Bible, it's the Ten Commandments. But this isn't the first time that the Ten Commandments have been given to the nation of Israel. This is now the second wave of people who have made it to the promised land. They're on the Jordan River. They're looking onto the, they're seeing what's before them. And Moses is still alive at this point. He is giving these instructions. He's basically saying, don't mess this up again. Your, your family members, your parents, they've already been here before. They've stood where you stood and they turned back because they did not believe in God's promises. He also points them to, the, to a story, reminds them of their history. And I'm sure they had heard this story before where all of Israel was called to a mountain where God was going to meet them face to face. And they come up before the mountain after much preparation and God is there in clouds of smoke and fire and it, with a loud voice telling them about the Ten Commandments. I want to read verse 22 to get the full picture. It says, this is after all the Ten Commandments have been listed by the Lord. And these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out in the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thickness of, uh, and darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So this is a moment where all of Israel realizes that God is holy. And that what he is demanding is far beyond anything they can reach. And they come to Moses and they're like, we cannot, we, we just listen to the voice of God and we're not dead. Let's keep that rolling by never having that interaction with God again. You go before us and talk to God on our behalf because if that happens again, we're going to die. So they realized in that moment the holiness of God, and that's what God wants for us as well. In fact, Leviticus 19.2 says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. What is holy? Perfect in everything. The Lord is perfect in, in his love, perfect in his justice, perfect in patience and self-control. You name it. And his every character that you can name about God, he is not just partially, okay, this part of God is love and this part of God is perfection. No, 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 no. Everything about God, he is 100% in every characteristic that you can name about God, that he is the fullness of that attribute of who he is. And what's crazy is that he wants you to know him. So he loves you, and he wants you to love him back. One way that he has introduced himself to you is through creation. Now that you are out of school, it is so much more fun to learn about his creation. You go to YouTube, and you're not required to put, give a test on it. And I know some of us are not out of school yet, <coughs> but you are close. And so it is so cool to see just how complex the brain is, how amazing your, our eyes work. It's so cool to see like just how deep the ocean is or how high mountains are. Um, I saw a video, I wanted to show it tonight, but we didn't have time to do it, of just how deep the ocean goes. I know it's crazy. So, um, and then the vastness of the universe is at our fingertips. All we have to do is look it up and, and Google it, and it may not be 100% right, but at least it gives you a ballpark idea of how big God is. But God doesn't leave it there. He just does, he doesn't want just 
us know his power. He wants us to know his holiness. So what he does is he gives us his word. That's why in verse 1 it says, Now this um, is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Moses is saying that there is an expectation. If God is holy, then that means that there is an expectation of the people that he is talking to. There are over 600 laws that the nation of Israel had from the Lord. What's crazy is that in the New Testament, there are more commands for us than the nation of Israel had. Think about this. So your, your uh, boss comes up to you and says, this has been great. It's been a, two years of you working with us. Um, thank you for all that you've done. Here are 600 ways to do it differently. And you're sitting there like, oh, 600 ways to like improve what I'm doing? No. <laughs> you need to repent and turn from everything you did for the past two years and turn and accept these 600 new ways to do your life different. What's, what are you going to expect? You're going to expect that what you're doing isn't enough and what your boss is asking of you is a whole new, different way of life. And that is what we receive from God. He sees us. He's not blinded by our imperfection. He gives us a new way to live. So when you learn about God's holiness, you don't just learn about who he is. You also learn about the sinfulness of your own heart. And there needs to be a change. You have, to, you have a choice at that point. And here's something that you need to do is the second thing we see is that knowing God, so now that you have some time to see that God uh, wants us to know that he's holy, the second thing is to know that God wants um, God, knowing God leads you to fear him. A decision must be made. I'm, a, I'm convinced that the reason there's so many people who claim to be atheists is not because there's not enough evidence. It is because they understand that if there is a God, then they are accountable to that God, and they have to make a decision. Are they going to follow him, or are they going to turn away in disobedience? So there needs to be a fear of God. What does it look like to fear God, though? A way that we can see it is a deep respect. That's why it's so important to start with understanding who God is, because you can't fear God if you don't know who God is. So deep respect in all, but it doesn't just stop there. It's really understanding that, um, that you don't quite measure up to what God is expecting of you. There's no way. And you're, you're probably thinking right now, but Chad, there's, there's no condemnation for those who fear you, those who love God. And that's absolutely right. That's what God knew. God wasn't blinded by our imperfection. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, and he died and rose again so that anybody who believed on the name of Jesus Christ would be saved. So you repent of your sin, you believe in Jesus Christ, and you are saved. But Christian, don't forget that once you are saved, you still serve a holy God. And God still, in fact, he's not just going to, if he thought the sin was bad enough to send his one and only son to die in your place, then he's not done with you. He's still expecting that you start looking like his son, Jesus Christ, because God delights in his son, Jesus. Amen. So what we need is to fear God. The fear of God isn't irrational, though. Um, as you can probably tell from my voice, I don't know if you can or not. I'm trying to disguise it. But I've been uh, sick for pretty much the whole month of September. I've had bronchitis, and I now have... Uh, like two halls in my mouth trying to uh, not cough. But during that time, I was introduced to the wonderful world of heating up a boiling water and putting my head under a towel 
suffocating a little bit so that I can breathe. Have you ever done that before? So it actually works really well. I, can't, I feel like I've missed out my whole life, um, but my wife introduced me to it, and I'm very thankful. So here's the thing, though. I am fearful of boiling water. If, I don't know about you, but I've been burned. If you touch a, a pot that's on the stove, it will burn you. If you touch boiling water, it will, boil, it will burn you as well. I'm not going to look at the boiling water and stick my head right in the boiling water because I have a healthy fear of the boiling water. The, the, my fear of the water, though, does not keep me from going to it in order to be healed. That's what it's like for God. Our fear of God does not cause us to run away from God. It causes us to draw towards him in respect and awe with a desire of knowing who he is. It shouldn't surprise us that the people that we look up to the most in the, in the Bible are people who feared God. There's a lot of examples of this, but I want us to start with Noah. In Hebrews 11:12, 12, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning event as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. God told Noah that there was going to be a flood, and in fear of God and knowing that God would come through with his promise, he built an ark that saved him. His fear of God led him to do something that was righteous. And not only that, but he starts preaching to everybody around because he truly feared God, and he's telling everybody to get on the ark. But those who did not fear God fell under his judgment. Another example that's a really good one is Job. There is a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and, his, and, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. His fear of God allowed him to turn away from the evil he was in. And, and then just a couple verses down, uh, Job 1.8, we see that God, it's so cool, God is bragging on Job. Look what, look what he says. And Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <coughs> Sorry. That there is none like him in on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. One more that I'm going to tell you about is Nehemiah. For those of you who are on the chronological reading plan, that's what, that was our reading today about Nehemiah. And it says, But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them the bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Today, we wonder why there's so much foolishness and corruption among the leaders in the world, and it's because they have no fear of God. Is there any foolishness in your life? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But the fear of God is only the beginning of wisdom. It continues. The continuation of wisdom is love. God does not want you to stay in this kind of relationship where you are in awe and respect, but that you have no love relationship with God. He loves you too much for that. The whole purpose is that we have a genuine relationship with the Lord. So what does he calls us to, call us to do? He calls us to love the Lord your God with every part of who you are. Let's read uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love the Lord your God with every part of who you are. <clears throat> love the Lord your God with every part of who you are. And it all starts with understanding who he is. Like we saw before, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is someone who is in charge. He is reigning. He is authoritative, and he is our Lord. But then it's talking about our God is unique. There is no other one like him. Our Lord, our God is one. He is unique. You can't compare him to anyone. People use this verse to argue against the Trinity. Said, see, the Bible says there's only one God. There can't, you can't have... God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because there's only one God. I learned something recently. You guys probably already know this, but this is really cool. God, in this, uh, in this passage, or actually really all the way through the Old Testament, is in the plural form. And in Hebrew, the plural form is always three or more items or persons, because they have a, they have a section for it. It's not just singular, single, singular or plural. It's, there's a dual um, aspect of the language as well. So in this, <laughs> in this one verse, it's already talking about Jesus. It's already talking about the Holy Spirit because God in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one, and he created you, and he loves you, and he expects you to love him back. And how does he do it? How does he call us to do that? With a completeness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I spent far too much time trying to figure. There's actually, if you want to do a study on heart, soul, and strength, there's a lot to lot to know. But what it came out in the end was they all kind of overlap. And really, the purpose that we're talking about here is not necessarily okay. What categories do I need to love God with? No, your whole life, everything that you are, everything you think, everything you do, everything you eat and drink, everything you are to love God. Your motivation. We talked about motivation at the very beginning. What is my motivation of? To serve God, you understand that he is holy. You understand that he is worthy to be feared. But last of all, that he's worthy of your love. And so your motivation flows from within because you love God. A really easy illustration to, to kind of figure this relationship out is thinking about my parents. I love my parents. If you haven't met my parents, you should. Um, they... <laughs> I have a healthy fear of my parents growing up. They are very proud of the fact that they disciplined me, and, they, and I needed it often, is what I hear every time we have a family reunion. That's the joys of being the youngest child, as everybody remembers your flaws. So I had a healthy fear, so my obedience was motivated at that point because of my fear of what they were going to do, of, the, of kind of the repercussions of my sin against them but I no longer live under their household. And my motivation to, to do whatever they ask is still the same, not because I fear kind of what they're gonna do, whether they're gonna take my phone away from me. They're not gonna do that now. I love them. So my motivation to do whatever they ask is because I don't wanna disappoint them. I don't want to see their face disappointed at me. You know that feeling if you have parents that love you and so, with God, it's the same way. Our motivation starts with fear, but it continues in love because we continue this relationship between us and, and God. And it comes down to three words, really, and this, this works with any kind of relationship. 
The three words are commitment, sacrifice, and time. If you're going to love the Lord, <coughs> you can't just, oh, well, I love him and do nothing about it. That's not love. If your love does not motivate you into action, then it is a false love. Your commitment is, and, and uh, your commitment and your, your sacrifice and time, all those things relate to, to what you're doing. Commitment. Think about this. I'm just kind of picking and choosing of what, what falls into these categories. But when I thought of commitment, I thought about our culture who have, like, we celebrate people who come to church once a month in the United States, and that is ridiculous. Well, if you try to do that with any kind of person on the planet, like, yeah, he's my best friend, um, barely talk to him. It's great. Like, that's not, when we, when we with, with the Lord, our commitment should be so much higher. Under the law, these people were with God once a week. They were, they were doing the Sabbath. They were doing all these things. Well, under the law that we have of grace, it should be so much higher than our commitment of just showing up to church, much less giving us uh, giving him our time of service. When I'm thinking of time and sacrifice, though, so commitment, sacrifice, and time, sacrifice, I often think of, of money because that's where it hurts. Even more than your time, sometimes you're trying to figure out, like, how do I tithe? We often, 10% is, is a good rule, but, but remember, we're under the, the direction of the Holy Spirit. If that was the law back then, 10%, well, then our, our motivation, that's why it's hard to preach now in the New Testament because now you can't say, oh, we'll do this, 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 and this. No, the, the Spirit leads you to do so much more than anything the law could have asked you to do. So you, but it's all based on your relationship with God because when you fear God, it leads you to trust Him. When you love God, you trust Him even more. So as you're growing in your faith, as you're growing in your fear and love of God, the Holy Spirit prompts you to do a little bit more. That's why we call it spiritual growth. It's because you start over here and that's fine, but don't stay there. Continue in your growth in the Lord and ask him, what is it you expect of me? It's not what you expect of the person next to me because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We take a lot of time talking about devotionals to the Lord. How am I reading my Bible? How do I pray? And... It really comes down to my whole life. What's my motivation? Is it because I really love God or is it because I do something else? See, there's, there's either the fear, that's a good place to start, understand God's holy fear, or, or loving God. But let's be honest, sometimes it's not any of those. We're motivated by something that God has not called us to be motivated by, and that is being motivated by guilt. We often fall into this circle or cycle, I guess, of, January 1st, you take on the largest reading plan. You're like, okay, two months, and I'm going to be done with the Bible and start over again, and I'm going to read two hours every morning, and I'm going to be praying three hours a day, and you are going to be tithing 50% of your check. And what happens within a, a week? You're burned out. You can't do it. You can't, it's like trying to exercise and lift the heaviest weights. You put every, all, every kind of weight on the bar, and you can't, after a while, you're like, I can't do this. I'm not a good Christian. My motivation needs to not be out of guilt, though, because <coughs> God is not required of that. So what do you do? First of all, be really kind of, what can I do? I can put aside this amount of time. I can read this amount. I can pray, have a t intentional 
prayer. I can serve. I can, I can come to church regularly at least. I can ask for a position to serve that doesn't require too much time so I can grow in those things. I can start with just a low. It doesn't have to even be 10% of your time. I can start with lower than that in order to grow into what God has for me. And so in that way, you are celebrating what you are able to accomplish. After you finish it, you celebrate. When you fail, you give that to the Lord and you keep on walking because you are not called to live a life of guilt because that is not from God. But you do have to grow. You do have to ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to truly love you with everything in me? A good verse that just kept on popping up <coughs> is Romans 12.1. And you know the one I'm going to. It's, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. So the sacrifice is what? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Celebrate your wins. Hand your failures over to the Lord. But the most important thing is live by the Spirit. You can't live by the Spirit if you're not spending time with God. You can't. You can't learn that God is holy if you don't read a scripture. <laughs> you can't learn to fear him if you're not around the, his word. One thing, though, I've spent a lot of time talking about, about our duties as Christians, as how we need to pray, memorize scripture, we need to do, 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 do. And that is true. We have, we have to start somewhere. The Pharisees <coughs> um, and the scribes were incredible people. They memorized the first five books of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. They had it memorized. They could quote it. They didn't have verses. They didn't have chapters. They could just, as soon as you start talking, they could know exactly where you were. They could pick it up, and they could recite it. And not only that, they could sing it. So it's not about just having it in here. <laughs> they crucified Jesus. I don't know if you remember that. So what, what needs to change in you? It's, it's that love aspect. I Love the Lord my God. My motivation isn't just, oh, well, I, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to have all this information in my head. No, because I love God, because I love Jesus Christ, that is what I'm going to do. There's a flag that Jesus gives us, a red flag to know whether you are doing things um, <coughs> for your own purpose or, or for his, his glory. And he does that in Matthew 22. Matthew 22, he's talking to, man, he has been talking to so many people and they're trying to trick him into um, saying the wrong thing. They finally send him this lawyer who is so incredibly smart and they're trying to trap him into saying the wrong thing. And in verse 34, <coughs> he says, but the very, just a minute. <coughs> All right. But, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the, the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Lawyer, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the greatest and the first commandment. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love the Lord your God. Whoops. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. You can spend hours with the Lord and, and studying the Bible and come out and you're a jerk to the world. 
If you do that, you do not love God. It is impossible that you love God and hate people. So what, that is a fantastic way to measure. Am I truly doing the things that I'm doing because I love God? If you're loving God, you'll start, your whole life will change. We talked at the beginning, your motivation of eating healthy, exercising, managing your budget, your love for God affects every aspect of your life. You're trying to figure out what's the best schedule. But really, if you have the right motivation, you'll be able to go beyond one week of discipline. If your motivation every morning is like, okay, now I need to get out of bed. My motivation right now is because I want to be a better person. That's going to fall flat. But if your motivation, you wake up in the morning like, I know I need to wake up right now. My motivation is because I love God. That's, that's the highest motivation there is. You'll start saying that. Use that kind of vocabulary in your life to be able to reach to a higher, higher level, level because if you try to find your motivation in anything outside of Christ, it will fall flat. I want to give you a challenge. And we'll end in this way. Um, we're going to, I'm going to ask the band to come up and as, yeah, you can go ahead and, and come on up. Um, we're going to be singing this song. It's incredible. It's by Shane and Shane. It's God of Ages Past. And it's asking him to work in my hard heart and asking him to really do something different in my life. And it's based on who God is. It's an incredible song. Take this opportunity as we, as we play this song. Think through what are, what's the next step. This is kind of where my ability to talk to you ends because I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk with the Lord. But the Holy Spirit knows, and that's the amazing thing about being a Christian, is that the Holy Spirit tells you what is that next step. It's different for each and every one of you. What is that next step for you to live a life that is not just motivated, it's not motivated at all by guilt, is motivated by my fear because that shouldn't go away. But more so importantly, I love God. And because I love God, it doesn't matter what I'm doing with my, it doesn't matter. Nothing's too high of a cost. I want to do more. So what is that for you tonight? I'd, I'd suggest to put it on your phone at some point and put a reminder on it for a week or a month now from today because what happens is you forget. So put in your phone, put a reminder to remind you in October of the decision that you made tonight, and let's start working on these things. And let's, I say let's because I know where I am. You know where I am. You've talked to me. So let's see what we can do to become more, to actually be effective in our lives, to have influence around us, to not just settle for, the, for, for just a normal life. We know Jesus. Our life should have an impact on everybody else because Jesus lives inside us.